you'll turn in your Bibles to Psalm 2. The second psalm. Why do the heathen rage and people imagine the vain thing? The king of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsels together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore. O ye kings, be instructed, O ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed are all they that put their trust in him. This past week, has been one, one of the most precious weeks in my life since God saved me. It's been a blessing to walk with Him and Him walk with me, to commune with Him above from the mercy seat and to have fellowship with Him. It's been a precious, precious week. And given us many texts throughout the week I thought we would preach on but never could nail anything down until yesterday and but we want you to follow us this morning and pray that God will give us what is needful and um, because he knows what each and each and every one of us needs in our souls this morning Let us read Psalm 2 again. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon the, my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. 
Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, all ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, as we wait in thy holy presence this morning, our heart rejoices in thee. Who is likened unto thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders among the son of men, the sons of men? Who is likened unto thee? None in heaven but thee, and none that we desire on earth beside thee. For thou art our all in all. And we praise you for your great salvation that thou hast given to us in that king whom you put upon the throne, that king who came and died for us. We thank you, my Father, for the grace that's been given, the mercies that's been shown to us. We thank you for all you've provided this past week and keeping this thy ministry continually going. Now, Father, we do pray especially this morning for the prison ministry. We want to give thee thanks for Chaplain Kelly and Chaplain Jones and the Santa Rosa Correctional Center. We thank you for putting them there. We thank you, my Father, that through them we've had great opportunities to witness there. And we thank you for the open doors that the brethren can go and to speak to precious souls about their never-dying souls. So we do pray, my Father, that you will bless and lead and guide. Now, my Father, we've come with the assurance in our soul this morning that there's a precious soul here this morning to whom thou wilt speak, that thy word will go home to their hearts. We praise you and thank you this morning for thy great grace and love that's been shed abroad in our hearts. We thank you for everyone you have sent this way this morning. And Spirit of the living God, will you speak Oh, if you speak, my Father, every heart will hear you. I have not seen, ears not heard, neither hath it entered in the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for those that love him. And you've revealed them unto us by thy Spirit. And we praise you and thank you for it. And so we do pray that you'll speak to precious hearts. And our Father, 
there are many who will hear this message on tape in the weeks and months to come upon who you've laid them upon our heart to pray for them and we bring them individually and collectively and rest them at thy feet this morning and may father they learn to kiss the son fall before him this morning and find in him their all in all Lead us and guide us. Bless the upcoming evangelism seminar. Send Brother Tom shoot here safely. All of those who will have a part, my father, in it. It will be a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. And hearts will be turned toward thee. Fill us with thy spirit this morning. And our Father, don't forget the sick. Thou knowest the need of many this morning that can't be here. Suffering, my Father, thy hand alone can be laid upon them to draw them unto thyself. We pray that you will bless them. So hear us, lead us, and guide us and get to thyself glory this morning is our prayer in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. When you come to such a psalm as given here in Psalm 2, there's just so much here. we practically impossible to give everything that's here in one message. The raging of the heathen against the living God. The raging of the heathen against the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, whom the Father sent to take our place and have mercy upon us. The promise of the inheritance that God has given the Lord Jesus Christ unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We have instructions here to those who are lost that the judgment of God will soon be upon us. There must come a broken heart and a contrite spirit And there must come a time of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. For without this, souls will perish without hope and without God. What could be a more gracious word for us than verse 12? A word of invitation a word for us to come before him with fear and trembling and to kiss the sun that is to fall at his feet. And do like Mary. Mary, 
the sister of Martha and Lazarus, three times she's mentioned in the scripture. And it's always connected with sitting at his feet. The man in the tombs of Gadara, when when the Lord Jesus had cast out the demon spirits, the scripture says that he was clothed and in his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. It is said that when Jairus came to the Lord Jesus to get him to come and heal his sick daughter, it says he came and fell at his feet. When blind Bartimaeus began to cry after the Lord Jesus, crying out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy upon me. And finally they said, that The master calleth thee, come on. And the scripture says he came and fell at his feet and asked, The Lord Jesus asked him, What do you desire? Let me receive my sight, he said. Go through the scripture and see how the Lord came to precious souls and how they fell at his feet crying for mercy. And that twelfth verse appeals to my heart this morning that we come and kiss the Son And what I understand from that expression, kiss the sun, is to fall at his feet. Like the woman who did in the seventh of Luke, who had heard the Lord Jesus speak those words of invitation in the eleventh of Matthew. And he said, come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If you'll follow it in chronological order in the New Testament, the four Gospels, you'll find that the very next thing that happened was you find the Lord Jesus sitting at the Pharisee's house and with this woman who heard this invitation a sinner woman she was washing his feet with her tears of repentance as it were and wiping him his wiping his feet with the hair of her head And the sanctimonious Pharisee, he just couldn't understand why any man who <clears throat> would have anything to do with a woman on the street, a woman like her, he said if he, only, if he only knew who this woman was, 
But my beloved, let me tell you something this morning. This is where the Lord Jesus delights for us to come. And that is to fall at his feet. In Isaiah 45:23, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone, <clears throat> gone out of my mouth in righteousness, and shall not return, that unto me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess. And Paul takes that up. In Philippians 2, 9, 10, and 11, Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every name should bow of things in heaven and things under the earth, and that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone is going to come and kiss the sun. They're going to bow at its feet. The whole Bible teaches that God has exalted Christ above every name, his name, above every name. And that everyone from Adam to the last person born upon the earth before the coming of our Lord Jesus the scripture over and over throughout the 66 books tells us of the coming of the Lord Jesus when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to me now. Whether you believe it or don't, doesn't change the Word of God at all. But everyone in this audience this morning, every one of you who will hear this message in the weeks to come on cassette tape, that's coming today, you will bow to Christ either in grace or you will bow to him in judgment. This is what God requires. This is what God has set down in his word. From first to last is what the blessed book, the Bible, teaches. The only begotten Son of God will be honored above every name. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Listen to me now. In bowing in this day of grace means that God can and will have mercy upon you because The Lord Jesus Christ 
was and is God's substitute for sinners. If we come to know him in this life as our substitute, as the one who died in my place, the one who bore my sins in his own body upon the tree, if I come to know him as my all in all and confess that he's mine, I'm his, and I come to show in my daily living, in my daily walk, that I've been with God, that I've bowed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. I have kissed His feet in repentance. I've bowed before Him. And He has become my substitute. This is grace. Oh, praise God for the grace of God that He gives to us the Holy Spirit coming and doing a work of grace in our souls, coming and showing us our helplessness and hopelessness, showing us our hell-deservedness, showing us our rebellion against God, showing us that God requires and demands as he tells us in Acts 17, God has commanded every man, everywhere, to repent. And when, when, when God does his work in our souls and draws us with the cords of, of kindness and the cords of love unto himself, oh, what a blessed day. What a blessed time. What a blessed Grace, that is, for God to come to our souls by His Spirit and show us what a sinner we are. Nothing but a poor, helpless, hopeless, hell-deserving sinner who's lived his whole life in rebellion against God. But now he's come. And God has granted him repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. He's taken his place before God as one who deserves nothing but hell. He takes his place before God, waiting upon God to have mercy upon him. He takes his place before God. As one who has no claims upon God at all. For you see, brethren, salvation is of the Lord. Salvation is of grace. Salvation is of the mercies of God. Those mercies are the new every morning, for great is His faithfulness unto us. It is in mercy that He comes. And grants us that faith to lay hold of the Lord Jesus Christ, to look to Him, to have mercy upon us, and deliver us from going down to the pit. Brethren, there's nothing in the world, in all the universe, any greater than for God to come to our souls in grace. The grace of God. 
and to give us the desire to bow before Him. Give us the grace to look to Him. Give us that faith to turn unto Him and to Him alone for the salvation of our never-dying souls. This is the manifold grace of God to us for which I praise Him and praise Him and never get through praising Him. And God comes to our souls in mercy. When God comes to our souls in grace and we hear those blessed words, serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling, kiss the Son lest He be angry and ye perish from the way when His wrath is kindled but a, but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in Him. Blessed is the man that God has mercy upon him. Therefore, the expression to kiss his son is to bow before him as Lord. I wish I, I just wished I was physically able enough to demonstrate that this morning. But if I got down, I don't believe I could get up. Not just one knee, both knees. The whole man, the whole heart goes out to him. And we bow before him. And we come before him crying for mercy. Realizing that only God can have can save me. Realizing that the precious blood of Christ was shed for the remission of my sins. Fully believing and knowing that He came and died in my place. He was willing. He was willing to let me come before Him as a rebellious sinner. To come before him, you name it, that's what I was. To come before him without hope and without God. To come before him, to fall at his feet and to kiss him. To kiss the sun means that I have bowed before Him as Lord. He's Lord. I do not come to try Him for a little while to see if it's all going to work out. Because God, when God... when God saves us so... try him out to see if it's going to work. You know what he does? He puts something within us. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new spirit. He puts within us his nature, the very nature of God. 
which goes along with having a hatred for sin. That nature of God. We began to have the very thoughts of God. We become new creations in God and we come before Him bowing his feet for at his feet for time and for eternity. And when we come to a portion of scripture like First Peter chapter one. Simon Peter, a servant and, and an apostle of Jesus Christ to them that obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according to as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises and by these you might be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust Yeah, it's a gracious, it's a gracious time. Gracious time when God comes to our soul and He tells us what He's done for us. He tells us, I've given you a new heart. I've given you a, a new spirit. In fact, this was one thing that when God was dealing my heart for salvation, this is one thing that I kept crying to him for. In Ezekiel thirty six twenty six he said, I will give you a new heart, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I'll give you a heart of flesh, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes. In other words, you're going to keep my ways. You're going to walk in my ways. And I got a hold of that verse of Scripture. And I began to plead it. Lord, you said you'd give this poor hell-deserving sinner who's nothing but a rebel in thy sight. You promised me. You promised in your word that you would give me a new heart. And then I coupled that with Titus 1-2 in hope of eternal life which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. He promised me a new heart. He promised me to give me His divine nature. He promised He would make me a new creation in Christ Jesus. 
In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, I'll give you a, a new heart. And I will put my heart within you and my nature. It hadn't hit you. But one day when God begins to deal with your heart and begins to show you your heart before Him, and He grants you repentance to the acknowledging of the truth, and He gives you a hatred for sin, and you begin to cry unto God to take away sin. You don't want it. You don't want your way anymore. You want God's way. And it dawns on you, He has given you from His Word, He tells you He's given you His new nature. This is, this is really, really something to take in. For God to do this. That's the reason you cannot con a man into saving faith. Did you know that? You can't con a man into saving faith. You might get him out on a decision, but you can't con him into saving faith. Because this is a gift of God. And he lets you know what he's done for you. Because when he does give you that saving faith to lay hold of him, <clears throat> and you fall and kiss his feet in repentance, taking the blame for everything. Nobody else is to blame but you. You can't get over it. You don't want to get over it. You're constantly reminded from the Word of God and God has done this for you. And then how many times from the time God saves you <clears throat> until you get the glory, you cry like Peter. And the Lord Jesus asked his disciples, are you going to leave me too? And he said, Peter answered for himself and for the rest of them, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Beloved, I'll tell you all something this morning. I have none, I have none on earth to run to but my living God. I have none to run to but my living God. I have none to pour out my heart to but my living God. I have nothing. I have nothing that I can fall back on of myself. Because when I came to Christ the first time, and He saved me by His grace, of course it wasn't the first time we cried after Him, but when He saved us, we came as one that had nothing to bring to him but sin. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life.
Then when we kiss the Son, He becomes our, our sin bearer. He becomes our sin bearer. He becomes our all in all. There's nothing between us and Him. You do not come pleading guilty to make a plea bargain with God. So many people come before God trying to make a plea bargain with Him. If you'll do this, well, I'll do that. You don't plea bargain with God. The only thing you have to offer when you come to, to Him is sin. That's all you can bring. Your righteousnesses are as filthy rags in His sight. You can't plead anything you've ever done. I tried it. He never would. He never would take them. He'd send me back every time. No, you haven't repented. You're trying to palm off on me your works. You're trying to plea bargain with me. And God doesn't plea bargain with anybody. We come on his terms. And his terms is down to his feet. Kiss the sun. Lest he be angry. When his wrath is kindled but a little. You, uh, this man who did all this espionage for the FBI, told he was a, giving all this information for 15 years as an FBI agent, giving it to the Russians. Finally, At first, he was going to plead not guilty. And then they said, well, if you plead, if you plead organ with us, uh, we won't ask for the death penalty. So he pleaded guilty then. But that's, that, that's plea bargaining. God, God doesn't do that. You either come clean and come clear with God, or you don't come at all. You come hiding nothing. That's the strangest thing about you, Pastor, when you... It looks like I hear the same message every Sunday. Well, when I, when I come to cry to God for his word I, I don't know but I don't know but one thing and that Christ is my all in all when I preach him then that's it Amen. he's all in all I have nothing to, to plea bargain with him I have nothing to bring to him and even after he saved me I could not plea bargain with him there. I had to come, like we preached last Sunday, 
just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, and that thou bids me come to thee. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Then when we come, <clears throat> I see in this expression, kiss the sun. I see in here not only do we bow to him as Lord, King over all. Not only do we bow to him as our sin bearer, but we also bow to him as our righteousness. If God comes in his mercy and God begins to deal with our hearts in mercy and begins to bring us low at his feet where we have nothing, he's going to show us that the only righteousness that God the Father will accept is the righteousness of Christ. We come to him bowing before him as our righteousness. He will not accept any other righteousness but the righteousness of Christ. That's the only righteousness that, that God will accept. He'll, he will not accept any thing that you have to offer. And that's coming on his terms. And there went great multitudes with Christ, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. What is he telling us there? I can't love my father or my mother or my wife or my children or my brethren. I can't love them and I certainly can't love my life. I must love Christ supremely or I do not love him at all. That's God's terms, beloved. He that cometh to me and then he goes on saying whosoever... Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We come hating father and mother, <clears throat> not with that hatred that's in the <clears throat> that is sin, but we love Christ far greater than we love those of our own household. Because Christ is all and in all.
Most of you know that wife and I were very young when we got married. She was 18, I was 19. And we deeply loved each other. I never will forget when our children were the youngest one was around six or seven. The, the middle one was about seven or eight. The oldest one was around ten. And the wife would pick me up at the ferry there in New Orleans, <clears throat> going over to Algiers every day, and we'd get home and table set to eat. And we would stand up in the kitchen door after we got on the inside. And for about 10, 15, 20 minutes, we would just smooch up a storm. And the children, we after a while, would say, Mom, Dad, you'd have enough. We're hungry. And all you're all doing is standing up there, smooching. Well, I loved my wife, and I still love her. We'll be married 59 years next month. Why am I telling you this? Because... As much as I loved her, when I came to Christ, I could not let that love for her stand in my way of loving Christ far greater than that love. And in that same 14th of Luke, he gets down to verse 33, and he said, So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple. Those are the terms that God lays down. We forsake all and follow Christ. We've exchanged Masters. He tells us there in his word, you can, you can't love me and love the world. You've got to hate one, love the other. But you can't love them both. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not, all that he hath cannot be my disciple. We come to Him. And that's what He does for us. <clears throat> we leave all that we might follow Him. And then that great chapter on repentance in Psalm 51. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to Thy loving kindness. According unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge 
my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. And then he begins to cry, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Hide me. Hide thy face from my sins. O Lord God, blot, create in me a clean heart, O God. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquity. Then the word comes back. The sacrifices of God or a broken spirit. A broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. This is the terms that God lays down. We must come before him with a broken heart and with a contrite spirit. This is worked in us by the Holy Spirit that we might find in Christ our all in all. We must come to him. We must lay down our arms of rebellion and hoist the white flag of surrender and to trust him. Our text this morning is a is a command. The terms are laid down. Kiss the son, lest he be angry. Come on to him. Lay down at his feet and pour out your heart before him. Tell him what he shows you is true. And that without him you can do nothing. The best place to go is to Calvary. Go there and pitch your tent and look to him who hung on that middle cross by faith you see him. With the eye of faith you see him. As you look very closely those eyes will pierce into your very soul. Those are searching eyes. Our, our, our ways are not our ways are not hid from him. Those eyes are piercing eyes. But that's what he wants to come. 
You want to come to him, and you want to lay down your arms of rebellion and hoist the white flag of surrender, and there you want to lay at his feet. You can only come in this way. And acknowledge, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sittings and mine uprisings. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down, and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but, O Lord, Thou knowest it all together. Thou hast set me behind and before, and laid Thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. O Lord, I'm nothing but a lost sinner. I can't hide this from you. Here I, here I am. I have nothing to plead. Here I am. If I... Where shall I go from your presence? If I ascend up into heaven, behold, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy right hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness shall hide, darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day, the darkness and the Light or both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. You knew all about me, even when I was in my mother's womb, because you knew <clears throat> that every part of my body was being formed in her womb. You knew all about it. And then he goes on to say, how precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sands. When I awake, I am still with thee. We cannot get away from him at all. And there he is. Praise the Lord. Even Jeremiah said that Ephraim couldn't uh, get away from the Lord. I surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus, Thou hast chastised me, and I was chastised. As a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke, turn thou me, and I shall be turned, for thou, thou art the Lord thy God. Surely after that I was turned... I repented, and after that I was instructed. I smote my thigh, and I was ashamed, yea, even confounded, because I did bear the reproach of my youth. Turn me, Lord, and I shall be turned. That's your only hope. That's my only hope, to come before him. One other thought I'd like to bring out to you this morning. John's Gospel, chapter 5, 
we have these words. The Lord Jesus speaking said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. Verily, verily, I say unto you, The hour is coming, and now is, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Have you ever heard the voice of the Son of God? You see this Bible I'm holding in my hand? I hear his voice every day. He speaks to me. He speaks to me out of his word. And it's the same way he, he uses this word. This word that's sharper than a two-edged sword. We can't get away from it. It speaks to us. We can't run from it. Because God won't let us run from it. It speaks to our heart and draws us. That's exactly what he says there in, in Hebrews. <clears throat> he, said, he says in his word there that uh, in Hebrews 12, Now, Hebrews 4. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to divide the sunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked, and open unto him of the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So hear his voice as he speaks from his word. That's the only place you're going to find salvation. Is the word with the voice of the Holy Spirit, who is the Spirit of Christ, speaking to your soul from the word. Only there will you find <clears throat> this salvation that God gives a gracious salvation and he cannot he cannot when we come before him we lay, out, we lay ourselves down before him kissing his son kissing his feet coming in repentance coming knowing that we have nothing to offer to God crying unto him for that mercy for that faith to lay hold of Christ. Lord, here I come, just as I am. I come looking to you by faith. I come to you as my Lord. No other way can I come. Your Lord. You call all the shots. I come to you for you to be my sin bearer. And I come to you for you to be my righteousness that I might stand before a holy and a righteous God 
with the righteousness of Christ imputed to my account, put to my account. And what did he say to to end that psalm? This you want to hear before we go. Serve the Lord with fear and, and rejoice with trembling and kiss the Son lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. You come before him with no price in your hands you bring. Your hope is in him lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. But then he closes that verse of scripture with some precious words. Blessed. Blessed. Who is the blessed man? The blessed man who is the one who hungers and thirsts after righteousness. The blessed man is the one who finds in himself no good that he can bring to God whatsoever. And he comes just as he is. The blessed one is the one who lays down all of his arms of rebellion and hoists the white flag of surrender. Lord, here I am. Take me. Do with me as you will. But I trust you. Though you slay me, yet will I trust you. I come to you. I know you heard me like this many a time in the last six or eight months where I've had to talk slow and I've had to talk... But you've listened. And the Word has been here. God gave me all this this morning. And I wanted you to hear it. And I want you to remember our text. Kiss the Son, lest you be angry, and you perish from the way. When his wrath is kindled but a little, blessed for all they that put their trust in him. Come to him. Cry after him. I can't let you go. I've got one more illustration. It keeps popping up and I, and I believe it would help you tremendously if I'd give it to you. Bear with me another three or four minutes. What I'd like you to do is even this very afternoon to take the Gospel of John and go through it. 
sit down in that third chapter with our Lord Jesus and Nicodemus and tell him, Lord Jesus, you told Nicodemus he had to be born again by the Word, by the Spirit. I can't born myself, but you can. And I would go and I would sit down at Jacob's well in John 4 and I would tell the Lord Jesus you told this woman everything she had ever done and the whole city was born again because of what you did for her would you do that for me? And go to the latter part of the fourth chapter of John and sit down with that nobleman from Capernaum. And the nobleman Capernaum told the Lord Jesus, Come on, come on, come on down, lay your hands on him. The Lord says, go your way, your son is healed. He wanted to argue with the Lord that he had to come down. But finally he went on. And they met him about halfway home and they asked him, he asked him, what time was it when my son was healed? I told him at the exact time that the Lord told him, go ahead. Sit down there and tell God, tell the Lord you have an evil heart of unbelief. The Lord has told you time and time again to trust Him. And you haven't come. Then go to the fifth chapter of John. Sit down with that man at the pool of Bethesda. He'd been, he'd been sitting down there for decades. But he couldn't get healed because nobody was there to shove him in the water. When the angels came, he told the Lord Jesus this. The Lord Jesus said, Sir, take up your bed and walk. Tell the Lord you've been trying for a long time to get saved, but you just hadn't wanted to come God's way. You wanted to come your way. Ask Him to give you that <coughs> faith to trust Him. And then go to John 11. For the Lord raised Lazarus from the dead and sit down there and tell the Lord, Lord, here's a man that has been dead for four days and you raised him up. I've been dead spiritually from the day I come out of my mother's womb. 
Won't you raise me from the grave of sin and have mercy upon me? Then the man that was healed I missed the ninth chapter where the man was born blind was healed and <clears throat> tell the Lord as you sit down there and listen to how the Lord Jesus talked to this man and say Lord I've been blind will you make me see show me Christ out of the word take these different pictures in the Bible of God healing and saving and delivering and raising from the dead and put yourself down there in a spiritual atmosphere and see what God will do. He'll hear you cry and he'll have mercy upon you. Kiss the sun. And blessed are all of they that put their trust in him. <clears throat> Thank you for bearing with me this morning. I trust you heard something. And the Lord has been pleased by his spirit to take it home to your heart. This Reformation audio track is a production of Stillwater's Revival Books. SWRB makes thousands of classic Reformation resources available, free and for sale, in audio, video, and printed formats. Our many free resources, as well as our complete mail-order catalog, containing thousands of classic and contemporary Puritan and Reformed books, tapes, and videos at great discounts, is on the web at www.swrb.com. We can also be reached by email at swrb at swrb.com, by phone at 780-450-3730, by fax at 780-468-1096, or by mail at 4710-37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N-T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T6L3T5. You may also request a free printed catalog. And remember that John Calvin, in defending the Reformation's regulative principle of worship, or what is sometimes called the scriptural law of worship, commenting on the words of God, which I commanded them not, neither came into my heart, from his commentary on Jeremiah 7.31, writes, God here cuts off from men every occasion for making evasions, since he condemns by this one phrase, I have not commanded them, whatever the Jews devised. There is then no other argument needed to condemn superstitions than that they are not commanded by God. For when men allow themselves to worship God according to their own fancies, and attend not to his commands, they pervert true religion. And if this principle was adopted by the Papists, all those fictitious modes of worship in which they absurdly exercise themselves would fall to the ground. It is indeed a horrible thing for the Papists to seek to discharge their duties towards God by performing their own superstitions. There is an immense number of them, 
as it is well known, and as it manifestly appears. Were they to admit this principle, that we cannot rightly worship God except by obeying his word, they would be delivered from their deep abyss of error. The prophet's words, then, are very important. When he says that God had commanded no such thing, and that it never came to his mind, as though he had said that men assume too much wisdom when they devise what he never required, nay, what he never knew.